And I pray, Lord, that you would now open our hearts up to your word. And that we wouldn't just open a book and look at words and and listen to words, but that you would change our hearts. I can't do that. We we can't do that on our own, but, but you can do that. And I ask that you would now, through your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good. Very good. Well, I want to um, give you, you know, it's the whole thing, give you some bad news and then give you some good news. This is about the sermon, not about anything else. Uh, here's the bad news. I, it, it's this verse in uh, Jeremiah 17.9, Old Testament prophet Jeremiah. It says an amazing thing if you stop and think about it, that the heart, our hearts, are deceitful above everything else. I just ponder what that means. That's a frightening statement. What that means is that my heart, your heart, and think about it, this heart in here, my heart, my mind, the word, Hebrew word heart has to do with just the inner person, it can deceive me and make me think that something is really good when it's not good. Uh, my heart can make me think something is like right when it's not right. Or that something would be wise, really wise. This is really wise when it's not wise at all. Or that something is true. My heart can make me think something's true when it's not true. So that's just a sobering thing to ponder that that each of us have hearts that the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah said are deceitful. Because if your heart, if your heart can give you thoughts and feelings that are false, if your heart can deceive you, how are you ever going to tell what's deceit and what's truth? Okay, but now here's the good news. It's right at this point. Here's another one of these points where we just see God's amazing love and goodness and care for us because God knows the deceitfulness of our own hearts. And he's given us a tool that we can use, if we'll use it, he's given us a tool by which we can discern what in our hearts is true and what's deception. He's given us a tool to use. And that tool, you all have it in your hands, I hope, it's God's words, the scriptures. And that if we will take God's words and just like, like line up every thought, every feeling, every desire in our hearts and look at them in, in connection with God's word, we'll be able to discern everything that our hearts are saying, whether it's deceit or whether it's the truth. Okay, now, the reason I mention that is that in the passage we're going to look at this morning, James chapter 1, verses 22 through 27, James, God the Holy Spirit through James, helps us expose, discern, one of the most subtle and dangerous deceptions that followers of Jesus can face, I think. So let's go ahead and turn there. It's James chapter 1, starting at verse 22. And I'd like you all to be able to have a Bible you can look on with. So if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand, we'll pass one to you. Uh, In the ones Bibles are passing out, it's page 1011. James chapter 1, verses 22 through 27. Now, a little bit of background. Uh, James, the book of James is actually a letter which was written by James, who's Jesus' brother. And he wrote it to a group of followers of Jesus who had to flee persecution in Jerusalem. They'd gone north to North Palestine and Syria. They were like homeless refugees, it seemed, most of them. So they had to flee. And James writes this letter. He'd been their pastor been an elder over that church, and so he writes this letter to strengthen them and to encourage them in their faith. And in verses 22 through 27, 
he focuses on, he must have heard that some of them were, were deceived in a very subtle and, and dangerous way. And so in verses 22 through 27, he helps them to see this deception that some of them are under. So look at what he says. James 1, 22 through 27. He says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, that's God's words, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Okay, so in verse 22, James calls us to be doers of the word. All right? Be doers. And he says that if we're hearers only, if we don't hear and do, if we just hear, he says then we're deceiving ourselves there in verse 22. So, so I'd like us each this morning, if you can kind of just in a figurative way, open your heart up to the word and say, Jesus, would you show me this morning if I'm deceiving myself as verse 22 warns us not to do. Just open your heart up and say, Jesus, would you show me through your word now whether I'm deceiving myself or not? So how could you tell if you were deceiving yourself by being a hearer only and not a doer? How could you tell? Well, let's just ask James. James, what does it mean to be a hearer only and not a doer? And it's kind of obvious if you stop to think about it, but let's let James kind of unfold it for us. First of all, it means you are a hearer of the word, Right? You see some benefit in, in hearing the scriptures. So you might listen to iPod sermon, you know, podcast sermons. You might read the scriptures on your own. You're, you know, you might attend a church service like here this morning and hear the teaching of the word. So you are a hearer, but what you do is you hear and then you forget what you heard. Look at verses 23 and 24. It's this interesting illustration James uses. I think I figured it out this week. See what you think of this. James says, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer... He's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Okay, so, so being a hearer, it's like you look at yourself in the bathroom mirror, you see, you see exactly what you look like. You see, you're looking intently, you see exactly, okay, that's me. And then you walk out the front door and you're, you're at work and you use the restroom there and you go in and, and like, oh, who's that? Right? Okay. Right? It, now, nobody does that. Right? But that's James' point. It's just foolishness. Are you kidding me? You forgot what you look like? What James is saying is that when we hear and don't do, it's because we have immediately forgotten what we just heard. And the result of that, you can tell you've immediately forgotten because you don't do. All right? And in this passage, I think James mentions three specific ways that his readers were hearers only and not doers. Look at these three. One is in verse 26. It says, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue 
but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. So this is one specific way that his readers were hearing and not doing. So, so let's say that you've, you've heard a sermon or you've read in the scriptures and you've, you've, you've heard God say, Jesus say, bridle your tongue. So Jesus has been before you in the word, bridle your tongue. Don't boast, don't slander, don't gossip. Bridle your tongue. So you, you've heard Jesus say that, okay? But then, then later that day, you start slandering or you start gossiping or you start boasting, and that this is just kind of the ongoing pattern of your life. Slandering, boasting, gossiping, that's the ongoing pattern of your life. What's, what's just happened? You've heard the word, but you immediately forgot it. And you can tell you immediately forgot it because you didn't do it. So if that's you, you are a, a hearer only. You're not a doer, and you're deceived, James says. Is that you? A second... Uh, illustration he gives is in beginning of verse 27. He says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. So let's say you hear, maybe in Isaiah chapter 1 verse 17, care for the orphans, care for the widows, care for the needy, care for the poor. So you you hear that this is what God's word is saying, and you close God's word, and you walk out the front door, and immediately your mind is filled with everything else except caring for the widows and the orphans and the needy and the poor. And so there's just that day, next day, for weeks, for months, there's just no care for the poor, no care for the widows, orphans, or needy. What's just happened? You've heard, but you're not doing because you've forgotten. So you're a hearer and not a doer. And you're deceived. Okay? One more illustration that James gives, that's at the end of verse 27. Uh, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So let's say you hear in God's word, keep yourself unstained from the world. And I think what that refers to is keep love for Jesus preeminent in your heart. Don't let anything else take preeminence. Any influence from the world moves so that your affections are more for something else. So you hear, keep your heart unstained. Keep yourself unstained from the world. You hear that, close the book, but then you go through your day and lust takes preeminence in your heart. Love of money takes preeminence in your heart. Desire for recognition from other people takes preeminence in your heart. Anger towards someone, unforgiveness towards someone takes preeminence in your heart. That goes on that day, the next day, weeks, months. So you've heard, but you're not doing. You've forgotten. You're deceived, James would say. So do you feel this? Now, these are the three areas that James readers struggled with, but... Uh, we can be hearers and not doers in other areas as well, right? I mean, it's obvious. Just kind of, I just listed a couple here. Have you heard in God's word, have you heard before that Jesus wants to spend time with you regularly in the word and in prayer? Have you, have you heard that in God's word, but you never spend time with Jesus in the word and in prayer? If so, then you are a hearer and not a doer and, and you're deceived. Have you heard that Jesus calls you to love your neighbors? Right? Love your neighbors yourself. Love your neighbors. But you, you know, do the garage door opener. Go in. Door closes behind you, you know, with your family. Leave next morning. Garage door out. And you, you, you never take any, you never move towards finding out who your neighbors are. What their needs are. How you could love them. How you could care for them. So have you heard Jesus say, love your neighbors? But there's just, you aren't doing anything about your neighbors. Then, then you're a hearer, not a doer. 
and, and you're deceived. Have you heard that Jesus wants you to care for the poor, advance the gospel, uh, contribute to missions, build a church, use your funds to, to bring glory to his name? Have you heard that? Close the word, and then just for the next days, weeks, months, years, your checkbook just like stays the same. Then you're a hearer and not a doer, and you're deceived. Have you heard that Jesus uh, says, love your enemies and forgive those who hurt you? And you hear that, but then close the book, move on through your day, and you're angry, you're, you're nurturing a grudge, you're, you're feeling this bitterness towards this person, you're not going to forgive him, that goes on for the next day, the next week, the next month, the next years. If that's, if that's you, then you're a hearer and not a doer. And you're deceived, James would say. I would guess that in a group this size, uh, some of you that are deceived in that way this morning, some of you are. And I just, I just pray that that at this point you're not like offended, you're not like yeah, but okay, but you're just like, talk to me, Lord, because the time to find out you're deceived is now, not in eternity. And the reason, if you, are, if you are a hearer and not a doer, the reason the Lord had you be here this morning and had this be the next passage in James that we look at is because he loves you. He loves you. He directed you here this morning. He orchestrated the order in which we're going through the book of James. He ordained that 122 through 27 would be here today. You'd be here today. And you'd be hearing this here today because he wants you to not be deceived. He loves you. He cares about you. This is from him. So just open your heart up and just say, Lord, is this, is this me? Every church has people, I mean, all of us go through seasons where we're hearers and not doers, okay? But James here is talking about this pattern you get into where you think that going to church, hearing God's word, somehow counts for something, even though when you walk out the doors, it's like a brain dump. Boom, gone. New dump, in, live your life. And then back in, okay, word, dump, gone. In, forget, gone. So some of you are probably in that place, and we love you, and I've been there for seasons, and we all have, and God has you here because he wants you to be freed from your deception. So, what is the deception? Uh, What deception do hearers who are not doers face? James tells us in verses 26 and 27, and this is a frightening thing. I've never seen it this clearly as I have, I mean, I've never really understood this passage before, I don't think. Um, but w- one comment before I read those verses. In our culture today, kind of the Christian culture, the word religion, when we use the word religion, is it positive or negative? Usually. It's usually negative, right? We talk about, it's about relationship with Jesus, not religion. And that is so true. Okay, but James here uses the word religion in a very positive way. He loves religion. If you can wrap your mind, because for him, religion means trusting Jesus. It means following Jesus. It means spirituality. So just read these verses. Understand that the word religion in James' vocabulary is a positive thing. All right? So look at verse, start verse 26. Here he explains what the deception is. If anyone thinks he's religious, spiritual, faith in Jesus, and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, This person's religion is what? It's worthless. Worthless. 
Now, if something is worthless, what worth does it have to you? It's not a trick question. No worth. None worth. Worthless. There is no worth in that. None. None? Well, what do you mean none? Like, what none? Like, eternal none? You know? Well, I think he explains what the none is or what the worthless means in verse 27. Here's what it's not worth. Here's what it doesn't do for you. He says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. And then he explains about orphans and widows. Let me explain what he's saying here. What we need more than anything else, I mean infinitely more than anything else, is we need to be pure and undefiled before God. His religion that is pure and undefiled, religion that does cause you to be pure and undefiled before God is this. We need to be pure and undefiled before God. Here's why. God is pure and undefiled. Okay? God is perfectly good, flawlessly loving, um, impeccably just. And because of God's absolute moral perfection, no one of us can know him, trust him, enjoy him, be loved by him, unless we also are pure and undefiled. Now that's a very high standard there, right? If something is pure, how much impurity is in it? None. That's not your question either, okay? If something is undefiled, how much defilement is there? None. So God's pure and undefiled, morally flawless, and we can only know him, be loved by him, be accepted by him, walk with him, if we also are pure and undefiled. Are we pure and undefiled? No, we've all sinned against God, and we've just, we're all impure, and we're all defiled because of our sinning against him. But here's, a, here's another point of which we see God's amazing love for us. Amazing love and care for us. God sent Jesus. Jesus lived a life that was pure and undefiled, right? Jesus is the only human being who's ever lived a life that was morally flawless. And then Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins. So here's, here's how you get pure and undefiled. Now, are you ready for this? If, this? if you've never heard this before, this is amazing news. And if you have, just get it again, okay? The moment you put your trust in Jesus, the moment you turn away from the other things you were trusting to satisfy you that you were living for, you turn from those, and the moment you put your trust in Jesus, Jesus, you're my Lord, I trust you. I trust you as my Savior, my all-satisfying treasure. The moment you trust Jesus, two amazing things happen. One is God takes all of your impurity and your defilement, all the sin, and he puts it upon Jesus and he punishes Jesus for your sin. And so all the punishment that you've deserved for your sin, past sin, present sin, future sin, it was all taken off of you and put on Jesus and Jesus was punished on the cross for your sin. So how much more punishment, if all of your punishment was put upon Jesus and punished in Jesus, how much more punishment do you have to go through before God to to make it to him? None, okay, it's all on him. That's the first thing that happened. Second thing that happened is God took Jesus' perfect moral blamelessness, took Jesus' pure purity and undefiledness and gave it to you as a gift, clothed you with it. And this all happened, how? You, you turn and you trusted Jesus. Sin upon Jesus punished, Jesus 
purity and undefilement given to you as a gift. So now God looks at you. He sees you clothed with Jesus' perfect, moral, flawless righteousness, his purity, his undefiled state. And God sees you and he loves you and he embraces you and he cares for you and he rejoices over you to do you good with all of his heart and all of his soul. And for the rest of eternity, he's going to be doing you good because he sees you clothed with Jesus' perfect righteousness. That's how you get pure and undefiled. Y'all got that? Okay, now, what's the deception then? The deception is that if you are a hearer, but not a doer, you're not clothed with Jesus' pure undefiledness. If you're a hearer, but not a doer, the, the spirituality, the faith you think you have is worth less. It's nothing. There's nothing there. Don't be deceived into thinking that your spirituality is something. If, you, if the pattern of your life, I'm not talking about yesterday I didn't bridle my tongue and then I repented and said, I'm sorry. That, that's not what James is talking about. If the pattern of your life is you hear God's word, then you f- close the book, turn off the pod, forget about it, go on with your life, hear it again, there's no value there. And, and some of you, I, I, I would imagine, are doing exactly that. So James is saying that doing is necessary if you're going to be pure and undefiled before God. Now that might strike you as strange. Maybe you've never really heard that stressed before. That doing is necessary for final salvation. Let me just give you two scriptures and then then give you some fine print. Okay? Jesus taught this in Matthew 7, 21. Remember when he said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Matthew seven twenty one, Doing. Uh, John, in 1 John 2, 3, writes this, By this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments we do his commandments so doing is absolutely necessary and if you are a hearer and not a doer please hear this your lack of doing is terribly serious okay now why is doing necessary let me just give you a couple points it's not because our doing has to be perfect Okay? All right. Let's just make that really clear from the get-go because we would all be sunk. Okay? Not even James' doing was perfect. You know how we know that? It's from James chapter 2, verse 3. It's an astonishing statement that he makes. I'm sorry, James chapter 3, verse 2. He says, We, including himself, we all stumble in many ways. Okay, so this is James. We all stumble in many ways. So when James is talking about doing, he's not talking about perfect doing. Really important to understand that. He's talking about growing doing, persistent doing. And when you stumble and stop doing, you repent of your not doing, and you put your trust back in Jesus, and by his power you start doing again. Okay, so it's not... Are we all clear on that point? Because if you think it's perfect doing, some of you will fall into absolute despair, and that would be... 
be tragic is what it would be. So it's not perfect doing. So why is growing doing, increasing doing, persistent doing so important? It's not because it earns acceptance and forgiveness before God. This is huge. Some religions teach this. Kind of man-made religion tends to teach this. It's not because your doing earns a pure status before God, an undefiled status before God, acceptance and forgiveness before God. Quiz time. How do we get pure and undefiled before God? What do we do? We trust Jesus. It's not by doing, it's by trusting. Right? Hey, how do we get pure and undefiled before God? It's by trusting Jesus. And the moment you trust Jesus, all your sin punished in Jesus, all Jesus' perfect purity and undefilement given to you as a gift, that's how you get it. Not by doing, but by trusting. Okay? So why is doing so important? It's because... Doing shows that you are trusting. It displays that you are trusting. See, whatever you trust, you obey. Automatically. You can tell what you really trust by looking at what do you obey. If, if, if Jesus is standing before you and he says, and, and you, you're trusting him, if you see Jesus, he's trusting you and he says, listen, he says, listen, bridle your tongue no more gossip. Stop slandering. Don't, don't boast. Okay? Now, if you trust him, what are you going to do? You're going to work on not boasting, slandering, and gossiping, right? But if you hear Jesus say, bridle your tongue, no more boasting, slandering, or gossiping. If, if you hear him say that, and then you walk away and boast, slander, you're not trusting Jesus. You're not trusting him. You're not trusting him, which is why there's a problem. It's not, the the doing doesn't earn you anything, but the doing shows that you have the one condition it takes to be saved by by Jesus. It shows your faith. I tried to illustrate it like this. This is such a crucial point to get, because we all kind of have a default thing. We all, maybe from different religious backgrounds or whatever, we try, try to think we can earn acceptance before God. You can't. Earn any acceptance before God. God, he just gives gifts. It's all he does is just give gift. If you don't want a gift, you want to earn it, you've got to go somewhere else because you're not going to get anything from him. All he gives is gifts that you don't deserve, you don't earn. So here's this illustration I tried to think of. It's like a blood pressure gauge. This is why I texted you, Matt. I texted Matt and said, does Matt have a blood pressure gauge I could use? He said, no, but are you feeling okay? <laughs> that was great. That's great. Okay, so a blood pressure A blood pressure gauge is to the heartbeat like doing is to trusting. (laughs) See, this works, okay? Try it. Now, when you get the blood pressure gauge put on, it's it's if if you're going to be alive, it's absolutely necessary that that little needle goes up, right? Okay, if if the blood pressure gauge goes on and it stays down. That'd be a problem. It's absolutely necessary, if you're going to be alive, that those numbers go up. Okay? Because otherwise there's no pulse. This, am I right, Millette? Am I close? Okay. Close enough. If not, talk to Millette afterwards, okay? Now, the numbers, the blood pressure indicator, it's absolutely necessary that that be there or, or you're, you're dead. But, do, but the numbers aren't what gives you life. 
the numbers show what does give you life. The numbers show that you got a heartbeat. That's the point. Is it close enough? Okay. I know. Jan said the same thing. She goes, are you sure? Blood pressure and heartbeat. Anyway. So in the same way, doing, doing is absolutely necessary if you are going to be saved. Not because doing saves you. It never does, never will. Don't ever go there. But doing shows that you have what you do need to be saved, which is faith in Jesus Christ. See the difference? This is a huge difference. So please don't walk out of here thinking, okay, I've got to start bridling my tongue, and maybe if I bridle it enough today, I'll earn some acceptance or favor before God, because if I don't bridle my tongue, I won't be acceptable enough before God to get to heaven, and that would be a terrible thing. That's not at all what I'm saying here. What I'm saying is this. If you hear God's word, and you just forget about it, you don't care what it says, you know there's areas that he speaks, you just, you, you, I just want to think about it, you're going to go and live in your life, and you're a hearer and not a doer, and your religion is worth nothing. And you're, you're not saved because you're not trusting Jesus. The, the one thing you do to be saved is to trust Jesus. But if you're not growing in doing, you're not trusting him. Do you have to be perfect in doing to show that you trust Jesus? No? Okay. Okay, just not enough of you said no to that. Do you have to be perfect in doing to not trust Jesus? No, but if there's no earnestness about doing, if there's no persisting in doing, if there's no repentance when you're not doing, then you're not trusting Jesus, and that's why your religion is worthless. Okay? Now, um, so my appeal to you is just, is like, don't be deceived. If you don't bridle your tongue, then you have no reason to think that you're forgiven for your sins. Okay, not because bridling your tongue earns you forgiveness, but because if you're not, if you if you make no, if you have no earnestness about bridling your tongue, you're not trusting Jesus. You're just not. And you know what? You know you're not. You know you're not. If you don't care for orphans and widows and the needy, Jesus has said, care for the needy, care for the poor. If you don't care for the orphans and widows and needy, then you have no reason to think you're forgiven. And not because caring for the widows and orphans earns you anything before God, it doesn't, but because caring for orphans and widows and the needy shows that you're trusting Jesus. So please don't be deceived this morning. What you need to do is own up to the the, the problem in your heart. There's no trust, there's no real trust of Jesus in your heart. You, You do know, don't you, that you can go to church like every Sunday and not trust Jesus? And you can read your Bible and not trust Jesus. And you can listen to sermons and not trust Jesus. And if you're not doing, if there's no, if there's no earnestness, if there's no pursuit of doing, then you're not trusting Jesus. Okay. So how do we start doing? What do we do then? Well, go back to the idea of the blood pressure gauge. Now, if, if the blood pressure gauge is here and the pump, 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 and there's just like no numbers at all, um, how much help will it be if you take that little needle and you, you point it to the right numbers? Will that do anything for you? Well, but the numbers were important, right? No, see, because the numbers are a reflection of what's happening in the heartbeat. All right? Faith flows into doing. Doing comes from 
trusting. So if you're not doing, where's the problem? In the trusting. The problem's in the trusting. This is so important. So you don't move a little needle. See, that's what it is if you say, I'm going to really be good and I'm going to start really, like, I'm going to give some money to somebody today and I'm going to, that's moving the needle. Okay? Change the heart. Get the heart going again. Okay? Defibrillators. Clear. Whatever it might be. So, think about it like this. It's like the Bible is like a menu. And every command in, in the Bible is, is a gift from God to you. He says, I'm offering you that. I will enable you to do that. Every command in the Bible, God says, I will enable you to do that. All right? He says, now by yourself, how much of this can you do? Jesus said, nothing. Okay? But through Christ, how many things are possible? All things. And so when you open up the Bible and you look at these commands, God is saying, well, why don't you order that one? I'll do that for you. And, and how about you order one of those too? And you can, you can order as many as you want. I, I will work these things into you if you'll turn to me and trust me. Trust me. So let me just tell you a little bit of story about how this worked in me. Um, I'll close with this. Two years ago, it dawned on me that an area that I was in danger of being a hearer and not a doer in was in caring for my neighbors. Okay? I mean, I, I, I waved at them as I was driving in and out, right? And as we were carrying our trash back and forth, you know, we, we, we all do that. But honestly, I, uh, I, just, I just didn't, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't moving towards them in any meaningful way to find out what their needs were, to love them to serve them, to care for them, maybe to show them Jesus, maybe to, to share the gospel with them. And it just struck me that I, I, was, I was in danger of being a hearer and not a doer in, in this crucial area. And so the Lord just hammered me with this. And, uh, and again, you can't turn, do the gauge. That's not going to change me. I realized that I wasn't trusting Jesus in this particular area. And so over a period of a few weeks and months, um, I, I, just, I just started to pray about this area. And I looked at what Jesus said about loving your neighbor as yourself. And I looked at my fears. And I tried to let God's promises outweigh my fears. What was that phrase? I love that phrase. Letting God's promises. What was it? Yeah. So, because God's promises overcome fears. And so I looked at my fears. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of an introvert. I love spending time just myself or Jan or, you know, other followers of Jesus. It's a lot easier. Um, and I realized I couldn't change myself. I couldn't do this myself. And so I just started to pray and to seek the Lord, ask Him to change me, just started to rest in His promises of changing me, try to be secure in His promises to always be with me, that He has all authority in heaven and on earth, that I have nothing to fear, build up my security in Him. And, and I found that my heart started to change. And I started to care about my neighbors more, to, to feel that. And I started to think more about them and notice them as I was driving. And then Jan and I were talking and praying and the Lord gave us an idea about doing a barbecue last summer for our cul-de-sac. I think we, most of you, if you were around last summer, we shared about how that all went. And so we did that. And we were really fearful thinking, what are they going to think? You know, It's never happened in our cul-de-sac before, but we shared it and they were all like, this is a great idea. This is awesome. Yes, we'll come. You know, and, and so we had a fantastic time at this barbecue. Everybody's interacting together. And through that has come other relationships. And I've had lunch with one of the guys. And we're having some other people over. And, and so things have started to come. But, but the point is, it doesn't come by changing the dial. It comes by, by looking to Jesus, 
trusting Jesus, trusting his power on the cross to, to put sin to death in me, my selfishness to death, my fear and timidity to death, trusting his resurrection power to change this heart so that I love and I'm free and I'm more secure. And God's just done something amazing. We've lived in our house for 20 years and none of these neighbors have ever really done much with each other. And Things changed starting last summer. Things are changing in our neighborhood. Now I want to share that with you because the same Jesus who is changing my heart in this area can change your heart in whatever area you're dealing with as well. But you've got to start by owning up to the fact that you're in danger of being a hearer only and not a doer. You've got to just own up to it and just come clean. And just come before him and just humble yourself before him and say, I'm sorry. I've been deceived. I wasn't seeing it. Help me. Change me. And he loves you. He will, he will just move in upon you and start to change your heart. And enable you, listen, every command he gives in the scriptures, he will produce it in you. I promise you, he will. Apart from him, we can do nothing. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us if we're trusting him, abiding in him, seeking him. So that's my encouragement. This is a menu. Don't be deceived. Again, some of you are probably hearers only and not doers this morning. And God brought you here to hear this message this morning because he wants you to be free from deception. He wants you to be clothed with Jesus' purity and undefilement. He wants your sins to all be forgiven. He loves you. He brought you here. He wants you to own up to the fact that you're deceived. So stop being deceived. Don't be deceived anymore. This morning, turn to him. Repent before him. Say you're sorry. Ask him to change your heart so that you move from being a hearer only to a doer. So let's pray together. God, I pray that you'd move upon us right now by your power. I pray, Lord, for those who are here who are in danger of being deceived because they are hearers only and they're not doers. Maybe it even has to do with areas that I haven't, haven't even mentioned, but Lord, would you show that to them right now if that's the case? And I pray that there would just be an outpouring of your love upon them right now, that they would be drawn to turn back to you by your goodness and your love and your mercy and your kindness and your promise that you will change their hearts if they'll fess up, that you will completely forgive them for everything through Jesus, that you will clothe them with Jesus' perfect purity and undefilements, and that because of them being clothed with Jesus' righteousness, they'll be embraced and accepted and loved and cared for by you forever. So Lord, just draw them with, with that promise, I pray right now. I pray that no one would leave here deceived. I pray that every one of us, Lord, would be doing heart business with you right now. So come, Lord, right now and work.